0: Welcome to A Light On. Here to make sure that you are not left in the dark when it comes to the latest and greatest benefits, payroll, and cloud trends. With new episodes every month, A Light On is your go-to source for the hottest topics from some of the brightest minds in our industry. I'm Dominic Belmonte, and I'm going to be your host today. Speaking of hot topics and brightest minds in our industry, I am joined by two of the brightest minds in our field please join me in welcoming Karen Frost, our Vice President of Health Solutions and Strategy, and Rob Austin, our Vice President and Head of Research. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. All right, before we get started, I have a couple reminders, one for my panelists and one for you viewers at home. So panelists, just a quick reminder, today's conversation is meant to be an open dialogue. So if at any time you guys have a follow-up question, you have a question for me, you want to piggyback off each other, no problem at all. It's all meant to be an open discussion. Now for the viewers at home, I want to remind you about a couple things in your console. If you have questions during today's webcast, there is a box in the upper right hand corner where you can ask your question. If we have time before the conclusion of today's webcast, I will make sure to have our panelists answer your live questions. However, if timing does not allow us to answer questions today, I will make sure that we follow up with you at the conclusion of today's webcast. If you're interested in learning more about Alight, the Alight on Video series, or looking for additional content from today's webcast there are links below the co- below the question box where you can view more information now Let's get down to business. Am I right? All right. Absolutely. Okay. So I sat down with Rob and Karen a couple weeks ago and we chatted about what's new and what's on the horizon in the world of benefits in 2020. And after our conversation, we decided that there are three key themes that we want our viewers to know about the world of benefits in 2020. And so what we're going to do today is discuss those, walk through them, and learn how you guys at home can be better users of your benefits. we're going to start off with our first topic, and that is personalization. And so, Rob, I'm actually going to kick it to you first. My first question to you is that what confuses me is, you know, essentially every company who offers a DC and a 401k plan offers, you know, a 401k. It's, it's the same vehicle. I'm confused how companies can personalize the 401k and their wealth benefits for their users. Can you walk me through that, please?
2: Yeah, sure, Don. So, you know, really personalization's always been part of a 401k plan. Structurally, the vehicle's the same. But when you think about things like contributing to a plan, that's up to yourself uh, to determine how much you want to save. And so that's personalized. Uh, but we do see this expanding and, and going into new personalization in 2020. A lot more companies are offering you the opportunity to save on a Roth basis. In other words, you can put that money in after tax, watch it grow, and take the money out tax-free. So it's not just putting the money in how much you want to save, but also if you want it to be pre-tax, post-tax, or even a combination of the two. Uh, But personalization also applies to 401k plans when it comes to investing. people have always been able to pick their portfolio, take their selection from the funds and and, and tailor it to their own individual needs. And, you know, that works really, really well for people that have the the time and the energy and and the knowledge to go ahead and and do that. And in our survey data, that's about 40% of the people. So the question then is, what about that remaining 60% of people? And when we look at this remaining 60%, it's really kind of divided into three equal groups. Uh, the first group says, you know what, I just want somebody to do the investing for me. Um, and managed accounts are a great way for that person to have a personalized experience. Managed accounts are now offered in about like two-thirds of plans, and that percentage is growing. Uh, the second third of people say, give me some good recommendations for somebody my age. Uh, I'm a relatively novice investor, I'm just getting into this, my investment horizon's longer. For those people, Target Day Funds are a great solution. They're almost universally offered by by most plans. And then the last group, though, is the most interesting part because they really, truly want some more personalization. They say, I I don't necessarily want to create this myself, but I have maybe a little bit more complications than just my age. I want you to factor in things like I have a pension benefit or I have a spouse or I'm currently saving a lot or I have a lot that's already saved. So a lot of other variables. And historically, there haven't been a lot of products available to these people within a 401k plan. Uh, But recently, we had a lightweight, we we launched what we call WealthSpark. And it's a new product that kind of looks like a target date fund, but includes some of those other variables to make it a much more personalized experience. So, Don, even though personalization has always been available, we do see a lot more growing here in 2020.
0: Definitely. I think I might need to have a conversation with you about how I can personalize my own 401k plan. And now, Karen, I have a similar question for you. So, you know, the annual enrollment process it looks very similar across companies to what it seems like to me. But how are companies actually personalizing the healthcare experience for their employees?
1: So, it's really interesting. Rob talked a lot about personalization with you know different points of view on investing and saving. And as I look at it through a health lens, we see the workforce in every employer I work with getting more and more diverse. And the natural inclination for companies is well I have a new group and they have a need, so let me add another program. Yep. And those are great and for the people that use them they're even they're even better, but the utilization overall tends to be really low. And so as I talk to companies We are doing more and more thinking around, you know, if I can take what you have and I can personalize it, which means help you understand what's the right benefit at the right time in the right context, it's going to make it that much more engaging to the employee and get much higher or much better outcomes for the company. And so let's use enrollment as an example. Um, you know, in the past, what companies do, the process itself might be similar, but what they often do is say, "Hey, I can't. You know, Dom, I know you're interest. You, you know, you're interested in more information, but I can't tell you what to do." But what's the biggest question we get during enrollment? What should I do? <laughs> and people tell us we're not benefit experts. You are. Why don't you tell me what to do? So, you know, we are. We've piloted over the past couple of years a process where we're actually giving employees what they want. We guide them through the process. We give them a suggestion on the plans they should pick, and. It's no surprise that they're really satisfied with it, and they are—they're enrolling in benefits that, is, that are much more cost-effective for them and using them even better. So, as I look at personalization, I think it's going to continue to have a growing role um, in all aspects of benefits. You know, wealth certainly—it's really critical, but in health, um, with the array of programs employers offer. Um, the best possible way to get people engaged is by personalizing that experience. And it's the most important when I'm using healthcare. care. Definitely. That's when, if I have a chronic condition or my family members do, that's when, you know, it's white noise um, if the company has a chronic care program for diabetes or musculoskeletal or something else. It's white noise until it's me or my family members. Yep. So if you can personalize an experience such that I know at that moment that there's a program available to me, that's when it's really going to be impactful for employees.
0: Definitely. No, those navigational resources are like absolutely essential. I just went through my first enrollment period, and I mean, it guides you through it. It tells you which plan is suggested. You can find out if your doctors are a network. I mean, it really is something that I don't think I could have successfully enrolled in my benefits if I didn't have that opportunity.
1: Well, you're warming my heart. My team will be very happy to hear that you like the enrollment experience.
0: Perfect. All right, so now I have a quick follow up for both of you because. Inherently speaking, if you guys offer this more personalized experience, as a user, that means that I need to share more about myself to you guys. So are you guys finding that privacy is a barrier to personalization?
1: You know, if you'd asked me that question maybe five or ten years ago, I would have said yes. But if you think of all the apps that you use on a daily basis, think of how much information people are already giving up. on my way to work, I used Waze. It told me exactly how to get to work faster, but it knew exactly where I was every minute of, of the drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of data that I gave up, but in return I got something super valuable, which was saving time on my way to work. And so what we're finding um, is that employees are so used to these kinds of experiences in their everyday life, the, their interactions with technology, that... They're more and more willing to give up their private information as long as they get something of value. So a healthcare example would be connecting my fitness tracker, you know, pick your favorite one, to the wellness program that the employer is offering. And the value I get out of that is Dom and I can be in a challenge together and we can compete on a team and, and crush the competition in terms of the steps we walk every single day. Exactly. So as long as employees are getting value, we see we see them get being comfortable with giving up private information. Yep. But at least in health, and I think Rob will comment on the, the wealth side of this, there's just an element of it can't it can't cross the line to knowing too much. Definitely. So if I go to the doctor and I'm di- diagnosed with a particular condition, when I get back to my desk you can't like be prompting me for information on that com- condition, that, yeah. that'd be a little creepy. Um, but there's ways to, to get you that information without having to cross that line.
0: And so Rob, are you seeing that same trend in the wealth side of things?
2: You know on the wealth side of things we find that people are a little bit more guarded with their information and sharing it than they are on the health side Uh, but still you know we asked employees across the us would you be comfortable sharing more personal information if it meant for a more individualized experience and what we found is it was it was two-thirds people said on the financial side yes two-thirds said yes i would be willing to share more information if it provided me more value so to karen's point Yeah, it's got to provide that value to you. Um, When we cut this a little bit more, right, you know, not surprisingly, millennials were much more comfortable sharing their data than Gen Xers were. Gen Xers were more comfortable than baby boomers were. But no matter how we slice this data, we still found a clear majority in every one of these generations saying that they would be comfortable sharing more personalized
0: data. So, so Dom, your question, is it a barrier? You know, for some people, yes, but for most people, no. Nice. That's great to hear. And so now moving on, you know, it's clear personalization does play a huge role in, you know, essentially employees getting the most out of their benefits, but Employers are now turning their sights on not just employers getting the most out of their benefits, but really maximizing and optimizing what is in these employer sponsored benefits. And so, Rob, I'm actually going to turn it to you again. Um, as we think about optimizing one's wealth benefits, are we talking about just helping people save more for retirement? You know, like, how are we ensuring that people are really maximizing what this, these wealth benefits have to offer?
2: Yeah, so it's not just all about saving for retirement. Um, there are plenty of people who are focused on saving for retirement, planning for retirement, entering that life stage, and, and that's great. Um, but there are a lot of people for whom retirement is so far off in the distance. They have many more immediate financial needs. And we're really seeing employers kind of answer the bell on this one. Uh, for the last several years in our Hot Topics report, we, we've asked employers, what are your top initiatives, and, and consistently every year, It's we're going to create and expand a financial well-being program. And and really, 2020 was no different with this. We now see 92% of employers say we're going to create and focus on a financial well-being program beyond just saving for retirement. And so we kind of drilled down a little bit more into this. We said, okay, well, well, what exactly are you going to do? And and 60% of the employers said I'm going to focus on what we would probably call more foundational type things. Things like, you know, setting some, some savings goals or, or, or curtailing spending or, or focusing on how insurance plays a part in a broader financial picture. Um, so overall, right, a lot of people saving for retirement, maximizing, optimizing, saving for retirement, but there are a whole bunch of other people for whom they need a much more immediate financial need. We see a lot of employers focusing on that.
0: And that makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you just think about our viewers today, you know so many people are going to have different savings needs. You know, My savings needs are different than Karen's, they're different than Rob's, they're different than yours at home. And so it's nice to see that companies are finally hopping on that train of understanding that there's a diverse set of savers Mm -hmm. and we need to find solutions that are gonna help them all. And Karen, building off of that now, Mm -hmm. how are we seeing companies play a role in optimizing their employer-sponsored health benefits?
1: So we see a big push towards employers sort of bringing everything together in one place. And, you know, think about it from the employee's lens. I have one paycheck. So help me balance, as Rob was saying, those short term and those long term needs through my one paycheck. And it starts at enrollment. As you were just saying a minute ago, get me to understand the connection between the benefits. If I buy a more cost effective medical plan, that makes me, um, gives me some more money in my paycheck to be able to save for retirement. Maybe some of that should go in an HSA to go along with that more cost effective medical plan. But we're seeing employers really break down those silos across the different, um, the different solutions, whether it's health or wealth or broader benefits. Um, and looking at it through that paycheck view to help employees optimize. Um, and it it doesn't just stop with the benefits enrollment piece. It really gets into um, optimizing when I'm using benefits. Yeah. So again, back to our chronic condition person, they're spending a lot of time trying to manage their condition, trying to understand the treatment options, etc. And if we can help them through a navigation solution, get support when they need it. That's a combination of that human being when I really want to talk to somebody or digital tools that help me um, do the legwork myself. Boy, can we focus on the cost side of the equation by getting them the right treatment, at the right doctor, um, in the right setting, and that can make an enormous difference for somebody as they think about taking advantage of their, you know, their employer's program and really maximizing their finances as well.
0: Awesome. That's super fascinating. And now... One question I have for you guys, and, and this could be a curveball, could not be a curveball, but as we think about total well-being, so not just your your health, not just your financial health, but your total well-being, how is optimization playing a role in improving that for employees?
1: I think it's something that, that employees have looked at for years, and you know, look at look at your average participation in a, in a, your old-fashioned wellness programs. It would be about 25 to 30%. And who were those people? The people that were physically fit and active, and they were the ones that, you know, the marathon runners that were going to just get the extra benefit uh, because they were already using it. And I think if you want to meet the diverse needs of a workforce, looking at well-being through a total well-being lens, is the only way to get them engaged. You know, yeah. they're thinking of it in terms of you know their healthy mind, their healthy body, healthy wallet, and healthy work, uh, work and you know outside of work life. Yeah. So give me something, give me programs, give me support that helps me bring all of those things together. And I think that's the way employers are going to get employees to engage is by looking at it in that holistic way. Yeah. It it helps me optimize, and then it helps them um, as an employer. Um, optimize the value that that their folks are getting out of the program and the cost.
0: Definitely.
2: Just to piggyback off of what you said there, Karen, um, what we find is that actually people who have well-being programs feel a lot better about their employer overall. So so a while back we asked workers across the US in our well-being study and our mindset study um do you have a well-being program that's offered by your employer a total well-being program and it was about a third of people said yes we do and and really there's nothing unique about these from these third of people from a demographic standpoint they look just like the two thirds that didn't have it. Uh but when we started drilling down into some of the behaviors of this one third group um, we found that they were sort of the the, the, the ideal employee. They were, they were saving more to retirement. They, they felt better about their outlook on life. They, they felt so much better about their employer. They were more than twice as likely to say that their employer offered generous benefits, and those were one of the main reasons why they stayed at their employer. So. You know, what's interesting, Dom, is we didn't even ask these people, do you participate in the well-being program? Do you use that tool? We just asked, is it available? And we found this stark contrast. Um, So really, you know, kind of offering a well-being program could be a bit of like a secret sauce to kind of increasing
0: employee engagement. I'm glad you brought up employee engagement, Rob. I think that a lot of our viewers today are very curious. What is the relationship that employer-sponsored benefits play in employee engagement. And the truth is, Rob and Karen just walked you through it. There's a direct connection between the two. Now, guys, it's gotten two down. <laughs> we got one more to go. But before we get through that one, I actually want you guys at home to learn more about our panelists today. And I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to take a look back at not just the last year, but the last decade. And so 2020, obviously, start of a brand new year. But it's also the start of a new decade. And I'm curious to hear from Rob and Karen, what was your professional and your personal peak of the last decade? So I can give you guys a couple seconds to mull it over. Um, and I can go first because I, you know, it's, I, I kind of gave this one right to you guys. But for me, my professional peak is that I found a job that I am truly passionate about in marketing. And my personal peak is that I graduated college loan free and I live on my own and I'm financially independent and that is something that I am really proud of. Do either either one of you guys want to start us off? Someone prepared for it? Yeah, Karen does.
2: Yeah. Go ahead, Karen. I
1: can start. I can start. Um, So, uh, on a professional level, uh, I think two things come to mind. Uh, The first is... um, we reinvented enrollment over the past several years and it's going to be available to, um, we had a bunch of pilots and it'll be available to most of our clients this fall and it, it's really changing how employees look at their benefits and guiding them through a process. Um, so so that's that's the professional one. And then on a personal level, um, I uh, have recently become an empty nester. So I have gotten my two kids through col- through the high school process and I have a college senior and a college freshman freshman, um, and so I want my senior to be in your shoes a year from now, <laughs> gainfully employed.
0: I'll have some tips for
2: him. That's awesome. Yeah, so, you know, um, I gave you Karen because I want to kind of think a little bit about this, um, and, and it's kind of tough to come up with a, with a professional peak because really what gives me so much joy is is working with so many of our clients and kind of helping them think through problems, um, and there's been so many over the last decade. but. You know, maybe the one thing that, that is kind of a, a common theme between all of those is the fact that, that I'm the, the head of research. Um, I didn't have this job at the beginning of the 2010s. And so so maybe the, the professional peak is is getting this job and being able to kind of then translate some of the data that we see into some actionable items with our clients. Um, but from a, a, a personal peak, um, I, I think anybody who knows me knows that we adopted my, my two sons from Guatemala um, back in 2018. We were able to go back there for the first time, um, and it was a fantastic experience for really everybody in our family. We, we did some sightseeing. We did some volunteering. We met other adopted parents, and it was it was a great way to really kind of learn more about that culture and really kind of expand our, our education. About it. So, so if I look back over the last 10 years, that's probably my, my personal peak now.
0: Wow, well first of all, congratulations to both of you on a super successful decade last, and I wish you both an even more successful one coming up. And now let's turn it to our third and final topic, everyone's favorite topic, affordability. And so Karen, I'm gonna turn it right to you. <laughs> when, I know healthcare affordability, it's top of mind for a lot of people. You know, when we talk about it in the news, we're usually talking about cost of care. Right. So let's let's shift our conversation over a little bit. You know, how are employers influencing the healthcare affordability debate?
1: Yeah. Uh employers are doing a ton. Um and it's interesting as I talk to different companies, for the first time over the past couple of years, the, the, the word shift is exactly what you're describing. Historically we've talked about cost. And cost increases, you know, 6.5% next year is what we're expecting in terms of cost increases. But increasingly, we're hearing employers say, I am worried about whether health insurance is affordable for my people. Yep. And... For years, the trend was to see employers offering high-deductible plans with HSAs as a big part of the solution. And really, over the past couple of years, we're seeing less employers use that as their only strategy and more starting to look at innovative answers where the deductible might actually go down oh. and be less of a barrier for their people, especially in low-income workforces. Yep. We see them looking at really creative solutions. There's innovators in the market that are coming up with new solutions every day. Some of the things, uh, what's old is new again, um, you know, even something like an HMO where I might have a low cost of receiving care is important to people. Um, other options that we're seeing are local solutions. So we're here in the Chicago area. Um, Advocate is a, is a, one of the major hospital systems. They have um, what they call uh, ACOs or Accountable Care Organizations. Yep. That's part of them. And the trade-off is you have to use their network, but they coordinate all the care. And for many of us that need a lot of care, that's really a bonus. Yep. And you know, years ago, we would have seen employers say, you know what, if I can't have exactly the same thing in every market, I'm not interested. But now as affordability has become a challenge, they're really looking at being creative in each and every market. Um, The other thing we're seeing a lot of, and it creates its own challenges, are a whole host of what you might call point solutions that are focused on individual um, chronic conditions, whether it's diabetes or musculoskeletal or mental health. there's all kinds of, of new organizations popping up every day that are doing a really good job on managing those. Um, and so the challenge is, although those are really great, um, solutions, that to be successful, we have to get people to use them. Definitely.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, as we think about, you know, I feel like five years ago or so was the big year where like, okay, we're going to do high deductible plans. Right. Are we seeing a lot of changes in plan design now or are we just seeing innovation within the care space itself?
1: I'd say we're seeing both. Um, right. Employers really, it's like a one-two punch in terms of healthcare. They focus on the design first because that's that's sort of a predictable way to change cost. Yep. But then they're also doing a ton to manage care. The easiest thing to talk about would be providing navigation. So I don't know if Doctor X costs more than Doctor Y, or procedure X costs you know more at at a local hospital versus a regional hospital. So giving me the support to to make that choice is really important. Um, and employers then are, are are coordinating with their health plan to keep those costs as manageable as possible.
0: Got it. Okay. And so Rob, now building off of that, you know, what are we seeing in the world of wealth in terms of how plan sponsors can help provide more affordable options for their participants?
2: Yeah. You know, what's interesting is when you think about costs for like a 401k plan versus like a healthcare plan, you almost kind of have to take a totally different sort of lens because if you look at just the impact on your paycheck, right? If, if, if your healthcare costs went up from 2019 to 2020 and your paycheck, um, that could be like a, like a bad thing. But if you had more coming out for your 401k, um, that might be a good thing because you're saving more. So, so really when we think about costs and, and affordability from a 401k perspective, we really kind of have to look at the fees that are associated with, with investing. Um, just like any sort of other product, uh, 401k fund fees, can get wholesale pricing so the more that you buy the cheaper it ends up being for an individual and so how do you buy more well that that means getting more assets in that fund so really the question kind of becomes if we're, if we're talking about translating into lower fees how are employers getting more money into certain funds and, and i would say there's probably two ways that this is happening now. um the first is. Let's get more people on the plan, right? That that That's that's a great boom for everybody, but if we do something like automatic enrollment, um, that will get people into the plan. Of course, that will then mean there's more money in these funds. Uh, it's about three-quarters of employers now offer automatic enrollment. That number has jumped over the last couple of years by almost 25 percentage points. Uh, but the other way is, okay, once money's in the fund, how do we make sure that that money stays in the fund? And and we see a lot of changes here uh, from employers. And, and one is just this notion that employers want to have people who are former employees keep their money in the plan. And in fact, in, in our Hot Topics survey for 2020, we actually asked employers, do you have a, 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 an opinion as to whether you want people to stay in the plan or to take their balances with them when they leave? We found 40% of employers said, yeah, I want these former employees to keep their balances in the plan. It was only 7% of people said that they want them to leave. Um, The remaining people said, we don't really have an opinion one way or the other. But that 40% grew by almost 10 percentage points from 2019. So how are employers doing this? Well, one way is when somebody retires, giving them options to keep their money in the plan. Um, It used to be not too long ago that if you wanted to take out $1, you had to take out the entire balance. Of course, then you can't keep any money in the plan. So now plan sponsors are saying, let's give people the opportunity to take a partial withdrawal or or even set up installments where where money automatically comes out. If you think about baby boomers retiring, they're now living off of their 401k plan. They can use this as a retirement income vehicle, not just that savings vehicle. Uh, But really, you know, it's it's not just retirees, it's also people who, who leave before retirement age. A lot of employers are saying, hey, compare the fees here with, with how much you might be paying in, say, like an IRA. And you'll find that that really our fees are pretty low. And ultimately, down this kind of ends up being like, you know, one hand washes the other because if you have low fees, then that makes it more attractive and you're more likely to keep that money and the fees and, and that fund, which then increases the amount of assets, which then makes lower fees and the cycle just keeps going. So really when we talk about costs and, and what employers are focused on in 2020 and in the 401 case space, It's really looking at fees and ways to keep
0: assets in the plan. And just to clarify, Rob, if if plan sponsors are not taking this action, are the costs then passed on to the participants? Or is that something that the company or the plan sponsor itself would absorb?
2: So so some plan sponsors will pick up all the expenses for people. Some plan sponsors don't. Um, Most plan sponsors don't. Um, but but fees are are shared across the, across the board for everybody. And so if there are lower fees in a plan, that's going to benefit each and every participant. If there's lower fees for for plan fund A, anybody that's investing in plan fund A is going to reap those benefits. So so really it, it behooves everybody to try to have the fees be as as low as possible. And that's why I think a lot of plan sponsors are taking that action.
0: Awesome. That's some excellent insight. And guys, we're out of time.
1: Wow. We finished.
0: <laughs> And so for you guys at home, unfortunately, we do not have enough time to get to your questions, but I want to remind you that we will get and follow up with you guys at the conclusion of today's webcast. I want to thank both of our panelists, Rob and Karen, for joining me today, and I want to thank you guys at home for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys joining us today, and I hope you tune in next month when we put a light on boosting your benefit strategy with technology. Before we leave today, I have one last promise for you. I will never leave you in the dark as long as you tune in next month. Thank you so much and have a great day.